Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. We want to thank you for tuning in today, and if you haven't hit that follow button yet, please take a moment to do so. We have new episodes every Friday on a wide variety of subjects from hunting to fishing to food processing and everything else outdoors. Today, we're going to be talking about upland hunting and hunting dogs. Some of the most passionate people we have here at Shields are the ones in the hunting and the dog training departments. And if you've ever stopped by our Sioux Falls location and are a dog lover, chances are you've met our guest today, Mr. Josh Bathke. His passion for upland hunting and his dogs is absolutely unmistakable. And if you haven't met Josh, you are in for a treat with this segment. How are you doing today, Josh? Pretty darn good. Actually, I have to work for a day, so I don't know. Actually, three days in a row. That's the most I've worked in uh, probably two months. So, <laughs> Very nice. Spent a lot of time in the field then, huh? Just a little bit. Perfect. Where, where have you been lately? Um, been out to the Fort Pier grasslands a few times, and then I was just out in Gregory for about two and a half weeks. And then, uh, this last weekend I was over in Iowa for their pheasant opener. Perfect. So how many States have you been to so far this year? This year, just three. Um, I'll probably pick up another one. I'm thinking about going to Texas in January for a quail hunt. Okay. Have you spent a lot of time hunting quail or is that kind of a new bird for you? Um, I've been on, I think this would be like my fifth trip to quail country. Essentially I've been to Texas a couple times and then New Mexico once. And then I went to Kansas one other time. So Mm -hmm. what's I've never quail hunted before, but it looks like a lot of fun. So what sort of things do you have to do differently to, to prepare? Uh, wear uh, really thick brush pants cause that, uh, Texas shinnery will tear your pants up. Um, other than that, it's pretty much just the same stuff. Be uh, ready for uh, some quick little birds. Don't be intimidated by them. They're really not moving fast. They just uh, they look like they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a smaller target to hit and move an awful fast. So how did your passion for upland hunting and, and your dogs develop? I guess just wanted to go with my dad when I was a little kid, and then I kind of became obsessive compulsive about it and I turned it into a career and, uh, and a passion from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very cool. So what, um, what do you enjoy most about working for Shields in the, in the hunting and the dog departments? Just being able to help people out and watching their dogs develop and hearing their stories or, you know, if they have a young shooter, seeing how they're, Hey, I got my first bird or I shot my first 25 straight in the, on the target range. It's just fun getting someone set up with the right stuff to be successful at what they do. Mm-hmm. Perfect. What are some of the most commonly asked questions you get in the, in the hunting department at the store? Um, what do you feed your dogs? I mean, if you have a dog, you have to feed them contrary to popular belief. They, they need a good quality food. Uh, so to select the right food for your dog. I think you have to look at the activity level of the dog or the breed specifically. Um, 
I like to run a really high fat and protein content in mine. Uh, setters are kind of notoriously known for being really wiry. Um, they, no matter what I feed my dogs, I really can't ever put weight on them. And I don't want necessarily weight on, but you know, I run the Nutrisource Super Performance, um, which is a really, I think it's 52% fat to protein content. Um, if you've got a lab, you really need to watch some of that stuff because uh, you want to probably go down in that. Otherwise, you end up with a lab that's really heavy. Um, and that's really hard on dogs. If they're out in the field and they're 10 to 20 pounds overweight, just like me, tell you what, I was pretty tired. I wish I could lose another 10 to 20 pounds. But uh, I have a hard time regulating my own diet as I do my dogs. Does your uh, Do you change foods as a, as a dog will get older too? Uh, basic, I don't, um, you know, if their activity level changes, um, I will maybe a little bit, but I kind of, I really stick to that higher fat and protein content because I found that that dog food is the best dog food for a Gordon setter that I found ever. I mean, it just, I've tried a bunch of different foods for keeping my dogs with a nice coat. I want to be able to see their back two ribs, but not all their ribs. And uh, if I've tried other stuff, I end up seeing their rib, all their ribs. They're just that food works really well for setters. Very good. So you're uh, you're a bit of a celebrity. We've had you on one of our uh, one of our hunting commercials. If you saw one on TV with uh, with Upland Hunting, Fioki Ammunition, and the dogs, you know, thanking the dogs for being out there. How did you? Uh, how did you enjoy that commercial shoot? It was definitely different from anything I'd ever done. Um, it was uh, it was fun, so people could you know basically get to see my dogs. Uh, you know, I don't care about me. I just like to get my dogs out there. Um, they're just fun. That's the that's the fun part is being able to show people how much fun a good bird dog can be. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's a ton of fun going out upland hunting in general, but, you know, having dogs just adds a whole new level to it. Yep. When you uh, start not caring about shooting birds and uh, just how many birds does the dog work and pull point for, that's, that's when you know you're a dog person. It's not always about, you know, the, the harvest. It's more of, okay, was the quality of my hunt good? What was more my dog's on their A game, were they doing what I want them to do? Um, you know, I've had a lot of limit hunts where my dog work was subpar. You know, yesterday I shot my three birds, but you know, I, I, they were all off point, but with the warm temperatures, scenting was a little harder yesterday than uh, the previous days, I'll put it that way. So the fines were, I don't know, my retrieves were okay. They weren't great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the weather lately has kind of been throwing us for a little bit of a loop. I know I was I was bow hunting last weekend and it was twenty five degrees where I was at, and then I you know walked to my truck out in the in the morning today and it's like fifty five sixty. So that's uh, that's kind of the mo for twenty twenty. <laughs> last Monday I think it was like ten degrees where I was hunting in Gregory, and yesterday I think it was like sixty five. It was like just a little temperature swing. Mm-hmm. Just a bit. 
So how does your how does your hunting strategy change with the with the vast temperature changes like that? The type of cover I'm hunting. So you know, on a really cold day, I'm going to really concentrate on that dense cover. Um, yesterday, I was just targeting lighter cover around uh, food source, water source, and that seemed to be where the birds were. I did catch a couple on the transition from a light to heavier cover, but it was kind of in that perfect within 20 yards of a food source, there was light cover and then a little bit heavier cover. And I think the dogs pushed the birds into the heavier cover. Mm-hmm. How much will a, how much will a bird move between food and cover generally? Is it just depending I'll, on the area or? It depends on the bird. If it's a, if it's a sharp tail or a prairie chicken, you're talking miles. You know, I've seen them fly two, three miles to a, a feed site. Pheasants, I'd say, you know, generally a couple hundred yards. I mean, maybe less, maybe more. It just depends on where you're at in the birds. Okay. So let's move back to your, uh, to your dogs now. How many dogs do you own? I'm down to six. I had to put, uh, one down this summer. Uh, he was 16, so he lived a good life, man. So I'm, I'm back at six now. Okay. And what types of dogs are they? They are all Gordon setters, um, which is a black and tan setter from uh, basically the Duke of Gordon, which is in Scotland. So it's kind of the ancestry. They've been around uh, forever. I mean, like 1600s, I think is when the breed was developed. Wow. So what, why Gordon setters? What, uh, what attracted them uh, to you initially? I thought they looked really cool, and then I got one. And uh, I will never not have a Gordon Setter in my life. I just love their personalities and what they bring to the table in the field and in the house. Mm-hmm. So what what sets them apart from like a Lab or a Wire Hair or any other popular brand or breed? So if you come in the store and you say, hey, what's the best bird dog? You know, that, that's a great question. What sets them apart is there's different breed types of dogs because there's different types of people. They're, hey, I want this in a dog. I want this in a dog. What a center brings is a lot of style. Um, they, they're very graceful when they're gliding. They glide through the field. They're not as rigid or say maybe as intense as like a short hair would be or a wire hair or a draught. Um, they just have a really nice grace to them when they're, when they're moving the field, they flow well. Um, their personalities, they're quirky. They're super smart, um, but they have a tendency to do things that uh, they're just Gordon Centers. I can't really explain it to you. Have one and you're going to go, no way did that dog just do that. And you're like, yes, they just do weird things that are, they're super smart. That's, that's why I, I love them. And they just do things that you're just like, dogs shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. What's uh, what's the best compliment you ever had on one of your dogs? Oh, I I don't know. I've had I don't want to say too many. I've also had the one thing I'll tell you about a bird dog and anybody that uh, is a bird dog person, uh, don't brag about them until they're gone because at some point that dog that's wonderful and the best dog you've ever hunted with can also be the biggest jarhead on the on a given day. They can just they can just flip the script on you really quick and turn from a great dog to, Oh my God, I can't believe that young dog just did that or that dog did that. Um, 
the greatest compliment is people just wanting to hunt with me. I mean, I know and generally I'm hunting, there's going to be people around me just to hopefully shoot some birds off my dogs. Mm -hmm. How do you go about developing connections with your dogs? Spend time. Best way to get a great bird dog is just spend time with them. Um, whether that's in the house, in the field training, all together, the more time you spend with the dog, the better the dog's going to be in the long run. I'm not saying every day you got to drill 30 minutes to an hour of obedience. That's, that's not good in my opinion. Keep your sessions short to 10, 15 minutes and then a couple good ear scratches and just let them sit on your lap and scratch their butt. <laughs> Very nice. Um, how old is your dog generally um, before you start bringing it out into the field? Um, you know, I've had dogs at six months-ish. Now, bring me introducing them into the field uh, with other hunters. Generally, I'd say nine months to a year. It just depends on the dog and the situation. I'm One of the biggest thing, mistakes you can do is take a young bird dog out on opening day with a group of 10 to 15 people and have it get shell-shocked because it doesn't know what's going on. I mean, be smart about how you introduce the dog to the field. Um, you know, a couple, two, three guys is a great plenty for a young dog. Okay. So there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, interested in getting into upland hunting, interested in getting a dog for upland hunting. Can you kind of go through the process of, uh, of, you know, getting a dog and getting it ready to, to be in the field and go hunting with you? The process of getting a dog never ends. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Uh, you know, I'll see on an upland chat group where someone will say, hey, what's the best type of bird dog? And right away, I just start giggling because I don't even respond to that stuff because I know no matter what you do, a lab is the only way to go. A short hair is the only way to go. You're just going to have a, a myriad of choices. Is Just do a little bit of research, look up some stuff, kind of find a dog that you like the look of, um, then start looking at different breeders. Um, you know, after you've kind of chosen your breed and, uh, kind of what you want, you know, definitely decide on a training program. You know, how am I going to train this dog? What's the system I'm going to use? Or am I going to join like a NAVDA club or a retriever club? You know, the nice part about doing NAVDA stuff or retriever stuff is it forces you to kind of spend time and learn some drills, especially as a, someone that's never trained a dog. You're also going to probably get five steps ahead of everybody because you're going to have a bunch of resources. Um, I'm not a member of our NAVDA group. I know I say that, but um, yeah, I've just always been around bird dogs. But I, I visit with one of their trainers during non-COVID times, probably two to three times a week. He's one of the greatest men I've ever met in my life. So shout out to Dan Griffith. <laughs> I enjoy listening to him talk about his dogs. And he's, he's what I want to be. Uh, 40 years from now. So an old retired guy that just uh, loves teaching people about shooting and training bird dogs. So very good. So step one, you, uh, you have your dog step two. What is, what are we doing to get it um, ready to, to hunt birds? Um, with a young dog, have I, so, you know, we're just going to do, like personally, I just like to do the basics as far as, you know, heel. 
I don't train sit because I've got pointers. Um, so mainly I teach them heel and woe. Um, at that point, I'm just going to start doing a lot of bird work. Um, I actually go and buy quail or chuckers or pheasants, and I've got a pen for them, and uh, I start running them on those birds in my yard. So just basically trying to create situations for the dog to either have success or fail. It's okay to fail. Um, that's part of training dogs. Mm-hmm, absolutely. That's, uh, that's the best way to learn is through experience. Can you touch on the types of, uh, you know, scents or things like that you'll use to, to get a dog trained? You know, there's different scents that are out there. If I had to recommend one, uh, probably more up your alley is the Evercalm. I know you're probably more familiar with that as a deer hunter. Mm-hmm. They make scents that are deodorant-based, like, so they have that wax base. So if I wasn't going to use a real bird, that Evercalm scent that we carry is probably the next best thing to a real bird that's out there. Firm believer in that product. Very cool. So I've, uh, I've been thinking about getting a dog myself, but, um, the one thing that worries me is the time commitment. So I've got two kids. One is, one is five months old now. Like, should I, would I have time to train a dog or is that something maybe I should be looking into waiting a little bit for that? If you heard me say earlier, really only, you know, what I spend with far as a young dog when I'm really working on the training aspect is 15 to 20 minutes a day, maybe twice a day. You know, they're just like your young kids. How long is your attention span? Do you <laughs> Not want to very each long. Well, no, but that, that's just it. You know, is it a huge time commitment? There is going to be a time commitment. 15 to 20 minutes. They don't have a long attention span. So if you want to go out and do a three-hour training session with the dog, sorry, you've got 15 to 20 minutes to really have that dog's focus and attention. You can put it away and then come back in like an hour or hour and a half and try and maybe do a little bit more. But if you can really keep your training sessions to a focus and a point, here's what I'd like to accomplish today and here's what we're going to work on. We're not going to work on 10 things. We're just going to do one thing right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So some good information. Can you go through like which ones will work better for certain types of types of bird, whether it's pheasants or quail or grouse or whatever? Sure. So when you're picking out a bird dog, one of the main things to consider is the type of target that you're going to go after. Am I going to be mainly a waterfall hunter an upland hunter, or am I going to do a little bit of both? Um, For those people that like to do a little bit of both, you know, your lab is always kind of in there along with all the versatile dog breeds. Um, You know, you've got your draughts, your wire hairs. Um, My brother would probably get mad at me if I didn't say Deutsch Longhaar because that's what he has, which is a German long-haired pointer, but it's not a long-haired pointer. It's a a Deutsch Longhaar. There's those kind of all all in one pointing breeds essentially that are going to do a nice job of everything. If I'm mainly just going to be a waterfall hunter, I'd probably look at maybe just more of the retriever, say a golden retriever, a lab, a Chesapeake. If I'm mainly an upland hunter, I kind of, you know, just partial to me, I would say, Hey, look at some of the pointing breeds, you know, your setters, your, 
your GSPs, those those type of dogs. I just love setters in general. So anytime someone is mainly targeted a, an upland dog, I just think hunting a English setter, a Gordon setter, an Irish setter is just they're fun dogs to watch just because they're how they move and how they work a field. So if you're thinking about a dog, just figure out okay, what is what am I mainly going to be going after? If I'm hunting 95% upland stuff and I go duck hunting once a year, I'd maybe look at, say, a pointing dog, specifically like a setter or something like that. If I'm doing the other way around, I would do a retriever. If I'm somewhere in the middle, look at one of the versatile dogs or, you know, a lab for that or a golden retriever. They do well in the upland stuff too. So mm-hmm. just finding that. what fits your personality the best. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many different types of hunting out there. Just, uh, you know, start figuring out, uh, what you enjoy the most and then, uh, and then get a dog that, that works well with you. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'd like to move into a little story time with Josh Bathke. So (laughs) perfect. That's, that's what I was hoping. So first one, what is your all time favorite hunting story? Oh man, I don't even know. You know, I'm going to bring it to Trump. And ironically, I hunted there yesterday. Uh, there's a little piece of ground back to where I grew up. Uh, it's where he first pointed his first bird. And I go back to that tree. And it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. There's just one big tree that kind of leads up to this up a draw. And there's a nice little bit of cattails. I'll never forget. It was the middle of November and, just snow, just the perfect day for hunting. Uh, I had Trump and his mom with me, Tess. And Tess was out doing her thing, and Trump just locked up and just stuck a bird. And up comes this gigantic or gigantic rooster. I mean, uh, it had 28-inch tail feathers, and I touched a round off into him, and I hit him just right, so there wasn't a ton of BBs, and I. I remember carrying the bird out of the field like this because I was like, this is the perfect mount for a, you know, the dog that I now is my favorite dog I've ever owned and probably will be. It'll be the measuring stick. And I, I have his first bird that he ever pointed, mounted. So I had to say my favorite. That's that's one of many, many favorites. Mm-hmm. My second favorite, after my grandpa passed away, in 2000, I want to say probably nine or 10. I can't remember. I'm a bad grandson. I can't remember when he passed away, but I took his old 410 out to the grasslands, um, my peer, and I shot a limit of prairie chickens with the side-by-side 410. And I could just remember I doubled on my last one and it was a double trigger gun. It was, I love to hunt with double guns, trigger one, trigger two. And I got a true double with the 410 on a, flock of prairie chickens I could just feel my grandpa going that a boy Josh or that a boy I could just feel that's pretty that was pretty fun oh that's so cool that's just one of those memories you never forget and so cool to do that with with your grandpa's gun yep and it was a 410 which I don't know if you've ever tried to hit hit anything with a 410 but uh, there's not a lot of air with the 410 yeah you really have to be on your game to hit birds with that 
What is the best story you've heard from one of your customers that came in? I don't know if I really want to. So I love pointing dogs. There's, there's, uh, there's, like I said, there's a reason there's a bunch of different dogs. Um, but I had this customer that primarily just pheasant hunted and I just made the suggestion of, have you ever tried a pointing dog? And they got a pointing dog and he came back in and he was just like, I love my labs for the, you know, their ability to retrieve, but shooting pheasants off of, you know, hard points and watching a pointing, a hard pointing dog. He goes, I have really been missing out. This is awesome. And now I think he's got four more. And then he got into English cockers. So he's got two English cockers to pair with him. It's kind of fun to see someone totally change the style and the way they hunted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a don't knock it until you try it with pointing dogs. I mean, they're, they're so fun to hunt over and so great to like introduce youth into it too, because you know, they're, they're going to sit on point so you can have time to set up and prepare. But I mean, the, the flusher dogs are so fun too, just their energy and enthusiasm. Now don't get me wrong. Like I paid, I will tell you lab will out retrieve my dog any day of the week. So that, uh, the retrieving part that they have in their nose for uh, getting into those heavy cattails, they're awesome dogs to hunt with as well. But I just, uh, what this guy was doing, I was just like, you should try one. And, he did, and now he's hooked, so that was kind of fun. Well, I mean, the the beauty of bird hunting, too, is you don't have to just have one dog. You know, you can have multiple flushers and pointers, you know, and have them yep. work in tandem, and that just makes the, you know, that just makes it even better. Absolutely. What is your favorite story about one of your dogs? Like an instance or something that they did? So I talked about Trump's first point and uh, I'm going to fast forward to about nine months from there. We were out prairie chicken hunting out my buddy's ranch by Gregory. And at that point he was a pretty good dog. And I was just like, okay, I think we got something here. And he's at this point, he's all just over a year old. He's like 15 months old and he goes on point next to the stock dam and I walk up there with the hunter that's with me and he looks at me and he takes off just like a streak of lightning and goes about 150 yards and just stops and spins around and I was like whoa what happened there so we get up there to him and I was like okay I don't know what's here and we got closer and all of a sudden two big roosters get up and so we shot those two and I was just like, okay, this dog's got some potential. And, uh, you know, it's one of the spots where I really figured out that he was going to be a dog that was pretty special to me and to other people too. I mean, he's, it was tough. This last opening weekend was the first time in Iowa that he hadn't been on that big walk with me for 12 years. That was the first time he didn't go. And, uh, Felt kind of bad leaving him in the truck. I did take him later in the day, but I can see his front shoulders really starting to give quite a bit. So I have to really watch what I hunt him in for cover. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's got to be one of the hardest things to do with a dog, knowing when like he wants to go so bad, but it's just you, you can't yeah. on this one, buddy. You could just hear him screaming from the truck and howling like, how could you do this? What are you doing leaving me here? And I'm just like, well, sorry. It's it's what's best for you. And I know he wanted to go, but I just knew it would the cover would just tear him up. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be able to move right for a week or so afterwards. Yep. Save, save your energy up for a couple of other ones. Yeah. We so. had some lighter cover later in the day and it was still a lot on him, but he did okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before we, uh, before we started airing this, we were having a conversation about that hunt, kind of a little scary instance. Can you kind of touch on that one? Sure. So earlier this year, I, uh, did an episode of the flush with Travis Frank. Um, and uh, we uh, were excited. It was my first hunt of the year, and uh, we got our stuff ready, and we're seeing birds fly all over. Uh, when I sharp tail and prairie chicken hunt, I usually don't like to go till about 8, 30, 9 o'clock. I like to let the birds go feed and then usually get them when they come back from the feed. And usually they're coming back from the feed um, at about 9 to 10 o'clock. That's when you see them really hit the foothills that I like to hunt. So we're, uh, we set out and I take my best dog cause I'm doing this TV show, right? I want to, I want to show them what she's got and sparks a great dog. She's very versatile on the types of birds she can hunt. Well, um, it takes really good dogs to hunt sharp tails and prairie chickens. They have to be really steady and, uh, really scent the wind. Um, you'll see them with their noses really high in the air. And uh, we got about a mile from the truck and we bumped a single and then we were running a set of ridges and uh, I sent her out and have her was having her quarter back to me because we had the wind at her backs. And all of a sudden she's running like this and I hear a rattlesnake wind up. I yell no and she gets hit in the face all within maybe two and a half seconds. Oh man. Just quick. So here I am in a mile from the truck. Uh, dog got bit in the face by a rattlesnake. So we uh, brought her back to the truck. Uh, I did give her Benadryl, which I learned was not a good thing to do. Uh, with the rattlesnakes, it doesn't really do anything to help. So just get into the vet and they'll decide whether or not to administer the antivenom. This vet decided that she did get bit. Thankfully, it was a big snake, so it didn't. Uh, I don't think it gave her a ton of venom because she didn't swell up at all um, immediately anyway. Uh, I do, if you're going to be in snake country, I would definitely recommend to give your dog the rattlesnake vaccine shot. I've done it for the last uh, 11 years on all my dogs. Um, there's... People that say it that works, it doesn't work. That my dog got hit in the face, like direct, right, right here essentially, and had very little swelling uh, because of. Yeah, I believe that snake shot. I think it did a really nice job to minimize the smelling and keep the dog in good health. You know, I had her back um, with me after just being in the hospital overnight, or I should say the vet overnight. So, but it was kind of a heart stopper there to, you know, go from, all right, it's opening day. It's my first time of the year to, oh my goodness, did this just happen? 
and you know you're just shaking nervous or stressed i should say you know it's just wow i can't believe this just happened yeah that's quite a roller coaster of emotions right there just absolutely jacked about opening data oh man my dog just got bit by a rattlesnake so um you know that brings up a good point of you know safety equipment and and stuff for your dog what are you bringing into the field on a on a day-to-day basis in your pack for uh for dog safety Sure. So I think you have to look at prevention and then care. So to prevent cuts and abrasions from happening, um, I'd recommend a Mendota skid plate. Um, they do a nice job of covering up common areas where dogs would catch themselves on a barbed wire fence. Um, so that, as far as prevention, that's the one thing I'll use if I know an area has got some really nasty fences. Uh, for care of cuts, bruises, and scrapes, and all that other stuff. Uh, I do carry some EMT gel, which is you can find in our dog shops. It's basically kind of like an essentially uh, a neosporin for dogs. Um, I'll apply that in the morning and the evening on a wound if uh, I see it. Um, other things like a stretch wrap, self-adhesive tape. Uh, anytime you're going to apply that to a dog, you really want to make sure you pull it off the roll and apply it. You don't want to just tape it on because you can constrict their uh, blood flow to their legs. Um, so be careful when you're using that stuff. Uh, other things I have are dematting combs and scissors for uh, taking cockroaches out of my long-haired dogs. That's one thing everybody goes, well, it must be a pain in the butt. Well, get a safari dematting comb. Uh, if you have a long-haired dog that picks up cockroaches, it'll change your life. Great tool. Great information there. So I've got a little insight about your hunting rig, and it is pretty unique. Can you tell us the story on your hunting rig? It is a 1997 Ford Econoline Ambulance uh, that's uh, nicknamed the Mambulance. And we did a cribs of it on the flush, which was kind of funny. My buddy was like, do you think they're going to do a cribs of the mandulance? I was like, yes, they did, buddy. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Basically, I converted it to go out west or on big trips to accommodate one to two hunters and three to four dogs. And uh, I think it did a pretty good job. It's got two beds, a refrigerator, a little dresser so I can keep my hunting clothes in, and a uh, TV, DVD player for hanging out in the evening to for some downtime to watch some movies or whatever. Um, it's got shore hookups, so you can, if you're by a place with power, you can just plug it in, or I have a little generator to run it as well. So works pretty darn slick for uh, one or two guys to hunt out of for a week. Very nice. What's the most time you've spent in it, like in one shot? In one shot? Uh, New Mexico. I think when I went to New Mexico, I was in it for 10 days straight. Just, that'd probably be the closest because we were, yeah, 10 days is probably the longest. But like this last stretch, I've slept in there more than I've slept in my own bed. So like I've slept in my own bed 10 days since the middle of or September 19th. <laughs> Yeah, when it's hunting season, you got to get out there and go, and you know you've you've got the rig for it, so it's very yeah. cool. Well, we've had 
so much excellent information and, you know, a couple of really great stories from you. So, uh, what, uh, what are your plans going forward for the rest of the hunting season? I have, uh, another three day, just little hunt. There's some people that bought a dog from, uh, my family. I think it was 15 years ago that are coming this weekend. Uh, so we're going to hunt with them Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And after that, I guess it's kind of back to normal, just hunting on my weekends off and my days off. Um, no big trips till probably January. In January, I'm going to think fly down to San Antonio and quail hunt with a friend down there for, I don't know, yet to be determined as far as the days. Mm-hmm. What do you have to do differently to prepare for quail versus the stuff you're doing around locally? Um. There's a little bit more stuff with like the dog's feet. I really run a pad toughener on them um, just because their soil is a little rockier and more aggressive. It's got cactus and other things. So I do generally boot my dogs when I'm down there, depending on the field. I, things I do differently, there's really not a lot. I mean, the biggest thing about hunting birds, whether it's quail, chuckers, Grouse, when I say grouse, I meant prairie chickens and sharp tails, rough grouse, is finding the, tar- the the habitat they like to be in and being able to target it. Because every one of those birds is just a little bit different. When I'm hunting quail, I don't want to see big stands of grass. I want to see open country where they can move around and be able to fly quickly. You know, if you imagine a quail is about the size of your coffee cup that you had out earlier. They're not going to be able to get up out of a, a big stand of CRP very well. They want to be able to take flight quickly. Pheasant cover, you know, really dense, tight stuff. Sharp tails and prairie chickens. Um, when I hunt them, I really like to target stuff that's, if it's much above the mid, middle of my shin, um, I'm generally trying to get out of it. I want to target that light grass. Um, when I've hunted, Roughs, I really like to find a forest survey map, like when they timber cut it for timber and look for that five to 10 year growth and really kind of stay in that. And I've only done that a couple times, so I'm stealing that a little bit. But uh, being able to target the type of cover they're in, you know, that's the biggest thing is do a little bit of homework on the front end as far as, okay, this looks like great pheasant habitat. I wonder if I can shoot prairie chickens or sharp tails in it. Because if you do that, you're probably not going to be very successful at shooting sharp tails or prairie chickens. If you look at the cover where they're in, you may shoot a pheasant out of it once in a while, but very, very rarely have I ever shot a pheasant or excuse me, a prairie chicken or a sharp tail while I was hunting pheasant cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's some excellent advice. Just, you know. Do your homework before you get in the field, you know, come up with, you know, certain areas that look good and then get those boots on the ground. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and all your insight. It's been a, you know, it's been a great segment with you. I appreciate it. And uh, best of luck out there in the field this season. Thanks, Mike. You too. Have you shot a big deer yet or not? Well, I went out and I got one in North Dakota. It was actually uh, half an hour into the season. So I've, I've really got bitten by the mule deer bug lately. Just, you know, growing up in Minnesota, I spent 20 years hunting whitetail deer and then I moved to North Dakota and, uh, 
And now I have the ability to hunt mule deer and do spot and stock. And that's just become like a huge passion for me. So, um, yeah, shot it, shot a really nice muley with my bow. My, my first one ever with my bow, which was super cool. Got them in velvet, but, um, I still have my Minnesota tag now. So I, uh, I've been out a few times. I was out this past weekend and, uh, and the ruts really, really starting to ramp up now. Like pre-rut is on, they're rubbing, they're scraping, but, um, you know, I probably saw 25 or so deer, but, um, you know, didn't really see any huge rut activity. Didn't see them chasing or anything like that. I had, uh, I had an opportunity at one smaller buck and then one that was kind of right on that cusp of, of shooter range, but you know, he didn't give me a lot of opportunity to, to really think about it. So, and I grabbed my video camera first instead of my bow. So, that definitely made the decision for me. But, um, you know, rifle season is starting this, this weekend when we're filming this. So I'm going to have, uh, plenty of seat time there and, and really look forward to it. Well, again, thank you so much for your time and, uh, and best of luck out there. Thanks, Mike. You just heard our conversation with Josh Bathke of the Sioux Falls Shield store on his passion for upland hunting and hunting dogs. If you like what you heard today, please give us a follow on Shields Outdoors Podcasts. And if you have any questions, reach out to us in the comments or feel free to give us a direct message on our social media platforms, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. If you have any other questions, feel free to stop into one of our local stores as well. Or if you need any equipment for the upcoming hunting seasons, we're here to talk shop or get you ready for anything you may need. And with that, we want to thank you for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.